You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. When you pray, when you think about prayer, um, is praise part of that? And, and what does it mean for you to pray? And what do you want to accomplish when you pray? Well, we have different things, don't we? we? We may desire that somebody be healed or that some circumstance take place or that something be different than it is. Or we may just come before God and say, God, I recognize your hand at work. And I do. I just want to praise you. I want to thank you. I want to express this heart of gratitude before you. So we may, exa- we may want to do exactly that. And so as we continue to consider prayer and prayer and fasting, um, there are a couple things. In your bulletin, as the, the insert to the bulletin, um, the left side of that, or one side of it, let's say left side because that's the way I looked at it on my computer. One side of it is a place where you can take some notes this morning. The other side is a synopsis of a pamphlet that Wayne passed on to me um, concerning fasting. And we're not going to talk a lot about fasting uh, in this series, but um, I encouraged you, if you could, to fast, whether it be from food or something else. And that article or that pamphlet gives a little bit more insight into how to and the purpose of it and those type of things. So I would encourage you to read that. Um, last week, we talked about some essentials in prayer. And, and we said that there were two essentials or two things that we needed to understand about prayer or what it is. And um, those two things were that it was a connection to God, and that was based on a personal relationship with God. And then the second thing was a conversation with God. So we looked at Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that pray without ceasing. We said, if you're going to pray without ceasing, then there's got to be a connection, and it is a conversation. It's something where we do some talking, but we are not just talking. There's a, there's a part at which we need to listen. Our ears need, need to be attentive. And if you remember, there's a, there's a passage, and I can't, even, um, I can't even tell you where it's at right now, but there's that place where um, there's this, it, God was not in the fire, the earthquake, or, and, and all that, but, but he was in the gentle whisper. Sometimes it takes us slowing down long enough to hear the quiet voice of God speaking to us instead of the need for the two by four. Understand what I'm saying? And so we've got to have this conversation with God that says, I'm not only going to speak, but I'm going to listen. And then we, we realized three things, three takeaways last, last week, that God has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. God is not limited And so God has ability. The second thing, God has the authority. Nobody oversees God's authority. God is the authority. So we said, if we're going to pray, we need to understand that when we pray, God not only has the ability, but he has the authority to do it. And then we gain some assurance out of that, that God hears us and will answer. And so when we we look at this, we, we question sometimes about those things. And we say, okay, God, if I pray, won't you accomplish this? 
Now, I want to tell you that there have been times in my life, and, and it, it can go back a ways, and, or it could be last week where, where you pray and you go, did my prayer go anywhere? Um, is it going to make a difference? Is it going to, to reach the ears of God, but not just reach the ears of God, but, but motivate God, and that sounds kind of crazy, but move God to, to do something in a certain way? Because we read in Scripture about evidence and episodes where somebody prayed and then God did something as a result of that prayer. We even talked about that last week out of um, the book of Acts when, they, when the church was praying and Peter was released from prison and showed up at the door. Remember, Rhoda said, hey, Paul's at the door and she walked away from the door and didn't even let him in the gate. And so we know prayer accomplishes things, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it does, does it? Sometimes you, you kind of get the idea that God may not be listening or God's not tuned in or whatever it happens to be. Um, I was reading in a book this week um, by David Platt. He's the former IMB president, and um, he's now pastoring in Virginia. And he, he made this statement and tells this story, made, makes a statement about it in a book called Something Needs to Change. And I wanted to read that because because he makes this startling statement at the end of this, or in the middle of this episode. And it's one of those things where it's like, if he's got this question, then we'd likely have the same question. And so he's telling the story. He says, right next to us, we're looking at a mountain. Now he's hiking in the Himalayas. And he said, that is like Pike's Peak stacked on another Pike's Peak. So it's not small. And so he's walking there, and after hiking up several small rises, about 500 yards, came across a village with a few homes. And as they entered the village, a man stepped out of his house. He was wearing a beige jacket, tattered beige shirt that was, had holes in it, and a torn brown jacket with holes, and, no, and um, his skin was bronze, and really had no evidence of any of it being washed for several weeks. And so they started talking with this guy. Um, nothing stuck out about him, nothing extraordinary, except that he was missing an eye. And so as David's looking at him, he says, um, he, he's just continuing this conversation. And Aaron, who is with him, who is an interpreter, noticed the man knew the local language and asked him what his name was. And so through the local language, they started to go through and Kamal, which is his name, he responded, covering the hole in his face with a cotton-like swab. And after a few minutes of small talk, one of the other interpreters asked Kamal, can I ask what happened to your eye? And so again, looking at Kamal, he answers, he says, a couple months ago, it became infected. At first, it itched and watered, and I didn't think much about it, but then it got worse. I felt a sharp pain in my head. It didn't stop for many days. Finally, my eye fell out. Aaron asks more questions, and Kamal shares how his cheek is caving in and his hearing is failing. And David writes, as we listen, we realize what's happening. With no medicine available nearby, Kamal has an infection that is quickly overtaking his entire head and may even end his life. Aaron who's traveling with David, shift the conversation to a more, a more spiritual direction and asked, have you ever heard of Jesus? So Kamal looks back confused. He says, no, who's that? 
I've never heard that name. It's like Kamal is being asked about a man he's never met who lives in a nearby village. Aaron begins to tell the story of Jesus, but Kamal seems confused about the relevance of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. And when Aaron finishes, Kamal just looks down and quietly says, I need help for my eye. Aaron has been, a, a, has been starting a clinic in a nearby town, but they ask this question, may I pray for you? Though, though still obviously confused, Kamal answers yes. And standing up to our knees in the snow, shivering from the cold, we gather around Kamal and pray for God to help him in the name of Jesus. So far, so good, right? This is what David writes. He said, but even our prayers feel empty. At least to me, I know it shouldn't be because I know prayer matters. What could be more valuable than talking to God on Kamal's behalf? But that's just it. Even as we say amen, I can't escape the lack of faith in my heart that the words we just said are going to, are going to make too much of a difference. Praying sure felt like the right thing to do, but as we prayed, I wasn't really praying with actual faith that God would miraculously heal Kamal. And honestly, I'm not sure I had that much faith that things were ever going to change for Kamal. It's a pretty empty feeling to pray for someone when deep down inside, you're not actually believing it's going to matter. Surely that's not the way prayer is supposed to work. I teach all the time that it isn't the way prayer works. So why do I have these doubts in the hiddenness of my own mind and heart? You feel David? David's looking at a, at a man with a hole in his head and prays. And at the same time, has this, this inner tension that's going on in him that says, did what I pray really matter? And I think all of us could be put in that spot. Does prayer make a difference? Does it really matter? Or is prayer a waste of time? I mean, that may sound harsh, but that's the way some folks view prayer. They see it as a waste of time. If I can spend my time doing anything else, it's okay. I remember, and it's been since I've been at this church, there was an episode or an issue at Orange High School, and there we rallied around for community prayer. And I remember looking at Facebook and in the um, a community Facebook page, and they were talking about getting together for prayer. And I remember one response in particular, and the, whoever it was, and I don't remember a name, so don't even ask me that. But I remember this guy saying, prayer doesn't matter. It's a waste of your time. I don't even know why you bother. Do something worth doing. I was like, so why does, why does that guy think it's a waste of time and we think it's not? There's people around us that think that prayer doesn't matter or that it's offensive. You've heard it. it and maybe it's, maybe it's the content of the request itself. But I can't imagine in Kamal's situation that that was real offensive to pray that Kamal would be healed. Maybe it's pushback on the person of Jesus. Maybe it's conviction or maybe even fear or anger toward Christianity in general. 
Because prayer uh, for others may seem okay, but for, for Christians, it need not enter the public arena. So there are, there are those that are just opposed to prayer or don't think it's worth anything. But those who believe in prayer understand that prayer is an expression of fellowship, of worship, of adoration, gratitude, humility, and dependence. It's going to somebody greater than ourselves. And having that connection where we go to somebody who has the ability and the authority and the assurance gives us the assurance that things will be accomplished as we lift up those prayers. In Mark chapter 11, and that's where I'd, I'd like you to turn this morning. Mark chapter 11, there's an episode and Jesus kind of calls out a group of people concerning prayer. Now it's not the, this is the way you need to pray or, or that kind of thing. He just identifies something that, that in that particular scenario is a little bit unique. And he calls it out and he doesn't call it out quietly. In fact, he's, he's a little bit bigger than that. So Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem. Now this is the, this is the week before he's put to death. And so he comes into Jerusalem. And as he entered the temple and began, and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Let's, let's just stop right there because this, this idea that he entered the temple and began to drive out, that word drive out means to cast out with violence. It's, it's as if Jesus became the temple bouncer. And he just went in and took these guys and no, you're, you're over there, you know. And, and uh, in my mind, I've got this superhero kind of thing where you watch watch all these Marvel and DC comics and all that kind of stuff, and somebody walks in, just grabs somebody and tosses them up against the wall. That, that's kind of how I picture Jesus. And I know he probably didn't do it exactly like that, but that's kind of how I picture him here. He drives them out with a little bit of, little bit of violence and overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. Why would Jesus even bother with this? We're going to get to it because he began to teach and to say to them, and I'm guessing that he was teaching with a little bit of vigor, that he wasn't, he wasn't sitting there doing this kind of number. Hey, um, y'all, if you don't mind, just kind of gather around. I want to share something with you. He had just turned over some money tables. So I don't, I don't think it was any one of those deals where he said, hey, come gather around at my feet. Let's just have a... Let's just have a kumbaya moment and let me teach you about this. No, I don't, I don't think that was it at all. I think Jesus, in, with a lot of vigor, just kind of got in their face. And he said this, he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. You made it a robber's den. Then the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking out or seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. What were they astonished at? I'm just trying to figure out why are you confused about this? Why are you wild about this? The idea is that Jesus walks into the temple and he walks in with authority. 
And he begins to tell them about what the temple is for. It's not for the selling and buying of things. It's not, it doesn't have anything, there's nothing related to that in the, in the description of what the temple is for. The temple is for relationship with God. That's what the temple is for. And so when Jesus comes into this place, he said, my house, my house shall be called or be known by being a house of prayer for all the nations. It was supposed to have the reputation that that was the place that you went to to meet with God. It was not supposed to be the, having the reputation of that's where I go and get ripped off. You wonder why people have this, this issue with talking about money in church. It's because they may feel like they come to church and they feel like they're getting ripped off. That's not the case. Our church should not be the case study for getting ripped off at church. And, and yet the temple here seems to be that spot where people are taking advantage of other people in an effort to gain money and forget about God. It says that, that the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Those who were selling doves were selling the most inexpensive thing that you could buy for an offering. And so what Jesus is essentially saying is, here's a group of guys that are taking advantage of the very poor. Because doves were really there for those that couldn't afford to bring a lamb. And so, so Jesus has an issue with this. He says, but you have made it a robber's den. And the, the idea in the Greek is that it was a cave or a, a place of hiding. Essentially, they were hiding behind something. And so these guys were selling these doves and selling these animals at an inflated cost and causing people not to, not to come wanting to be there because of a relationship with God, but having to be there and do these things. And that's why the Pharisees got upset. It was messing with their money purse. And so what Jesus saw that day is essentially extortion, theft. He, he saw something that... that re, that looked like separation from a holy God that was supposed to be close to the people. It was opposite of the things we just said that prayer represented. Fellowship, adoration, dependence, thankfulness, and humility. See, God desires that nothing, nothing comes as an obstacle between our relationship with Him. Or nothing becomes an obstacle. We have a little bit of that responsibility. Understand that God went to great lengths so that we could have connection with Him. He sent Jesus from heaven to come to this earth to live a, a sinless life and to go to a cross on our behalf. Is that not stepping out of a comfort zone to come and have relationship with us? And yet there are still things that get in the way of us having relationship with Him. Prayer is, not, is supposed to be that thing that draws us close, and yet sometimes it feels like prayer drives us away because it's hard. In, um, in recent days, I've been trying to talk to my brother a little bit more than I used to, and um, he's got a cell phone, but I'm not sure the, the cell phone ever gets turned on. 
So it's not unusual for me to call, and I try the cell phone first because that just seems like the appropriate thing to do. And so I'll, I'll call it, it immediately goes to voicemail, and, and I just don't even bother leaving a voicemail at this point because I know that he's not going to listen to it. So I'll call the facility where he's residing, and they will, they've got a, a wireless phone, and they pick it up, and they, they recognize my voice at this point, so they give the phone to him. And I want to tell you, the, although there are only six people living in this place, it is loud. And it's, I mean, I'm not talking a little loud. It's a lot loud. Where I can hear all this activity going on in the background, he's trying to hear, and he doesn't hear all that well. And then I'm riding up and down roads, and every time I hit a low spot in a road here, it kind of cuts out, or just he gets part of it, and he'll go, I can't hear you. I'm like, wait a second. And then I'll yell. And then I'm trying to hear him. And we go back and forth, and there's this, there's this interference that, that gets in the way. There's this, this stuff that gets in the way of us having a clear communication. This is what Alan Redpath said. He said, before we can pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. We need to get rid of the static. And so the first thing on your outline this morning is interference. It's those obstacles, obstruction. I don't know how many of you are watching football games this time of year. Uh, Some people don't watch football until it gets down to the playoff time. And if you were up last night, and um, you're a Baltimore fan, I'm so sorry. Not really, because you know where, where my allegiances lie as far as football. And we moved from Kentucky, which was close to Tennessee, so there's some affinity to the Titans. So I was pretty happy last night. But you know that some football games, that everything can turn on a call. In fact, there, there was, if you, if you watched last week's games, the, the game between the Vikings and the Saints, there, there was a call that made the difference in the game. And I don't know whether you agree with the call or don't agree with the call. I know they do instant replay to try and get things right. But getting the call right has the potential to change the outcome. And so we want to make sure, because interference by definition is just the, an unwanted obstacle to preventing success, is we want to take out the obstacles or the interference that gets in the way of us having success in prayer. So we want to make sure that, that our prayer is not worthless. And so what we need to talk about what interferes with prayer. The first thing in this, in this list is transgression or sin. Psalm 66.18 says this, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That word regard means to hold or approve. And the message, I kind of like the way the message puts it. He says, if I had been cozy with evil, the Lord would never have listened. I get cozy with evil. And so we need to understand that sin gets in the way. It's an obstacle. It's an interference of us having a prayer life that matters. T.W. Hunt identified six sins that block prayer. And I'm just going to go through them very quickly. The first one is anger. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. The, the part of that is, is just the idea that anger, when we're mad at something, then we can't have a conversation with God well. 
Second thing is idolatry. We're putting something or someone ahead of God. Now, and we've talked about this before, that there, there can be idols in our life that appear on the outside as good. They can be worthwhile projects, but when they take the place of God, they become idols in our life. So idols is the second one, or idolatry. Third one is indifference. Proverbs 21, 13 says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. So indifference is an obstacle. And, and let me just kind of give you, and you can put it in the margin, let me give you some, some practical pieces of things about indifference. There, there are a couple opportunities I want to tell you about. The first one has to do with um, the controversy and the, the issues with McDougal Terrace. And you've been watching some of that stuff on the news. Um, there's a way that we can plug in to help in that situation. And we need to not be necessarily hands-off. Mosaic Church, which is a church in our association, is providing a meal this Thursday. And so if you would like to help with a meal, you can go to Assign Genius to Volunteer. And we'll put that on the website this afternoon. And so if you want to help, it'll be in the missions section of our website right at the top of that, that particular page. If you would like to go to that Sign Up Genius, you can sign up and volunteer on this Thursday to provide a meal through Mosaic. The other thing is there is a list of things that, of need for those that are displaced. And we'll put that on that same spot. It's things like diapers and socks and baby food and toiletry items and snacks and and different things, and we'll put that in the same place. So in that particular instance that's local, we can have an impact, whether it's collecting goods or coming to help with a meal. The other thing is um, every Friday and Saturday, there's something that happens on both campuses. You may say, well, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure how this applies. You realize that there is a group of folks that gather here on Fridays and Saturdays to watch basketball. And a, a portion of those folks, I would venture to say, just like I would say that there's a possibility that people inside the room this morning do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, there is a portion of folks that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior on Friday and Saturday nights. And there is a chance, there's an opportunity for us to come alongside those folks now, it's, it's not one of those where you go and you sit in the bleacher and you go, hey, you want to talk about Jesus? It's not quite that intimidating or that scary. But it, it can be as simple as just saying hi in the hallway and being nice to them and opening a conversation that says, we care. And so Friday night, Saturday, here are the places you can plug in. You can give your testimony at halftime during any one of the games. And right now, it is a struggle in a church this size. It shouldn't be, but right now, it's a struggle to get folks to say, I will share a three-minute testimony in front of a group of people. And I know you say, I can't speak in front of people. It's just three minutes. There's a lot of things you can endure for three minutes. Most of us endure pain for longer than three minutes. This isn't terribly painful. And so I would encourage you to call Pastor Isaiah and say, I'm willing to give my testimony and then you guys work out a time. 
Because it's very simple. You can have impact in people's lives and not be indifferent to their spiritual condition by just doing that. So Fridays and Saturdays, you could do that. We still have needs, a need for referees. We talked about it in Deacon's meeting this morning. Jason ran up and down a 94-foot court for two games, right? By yourself. Now, you want to talk about interference and calls? Dude, he doesn't have that many eyes. So, so he needs help. And there is a degree at which we need some help in our referees. So if you know anything about basketball, and I told you last year, I'm the world's worst referee. So I tend to go younger. But if you can referee at all, we could use your help. I would say, don't be indifferent to that. Je Justin has um, Billy Newton wrestling on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Same thing, right? Could use testimonies, a little short devotion. Guys, there's places to plug in where we don't have to look and act as if we're indifferent to those things that are around us. And when we decide to act, understand that's just one piece, that's just one sin that can get in the way of us having a good prayer life and a good, vital, vibrant fellowship with God. Next piece is hypocrisy. Matthew 6 talks about a prideful approach to God. Then unforgiveness. It's the next one. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will forgive, also forgive you your transgressions. So it's a call to forgive those around us. Another passage would be Matthew 6, 14 and 15, when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The last, the last one is broken relationships. That idea of going to somebody before you, go, before you go to God. Fixing that. Psalm 66, 19 and 20, which is the follow-up to Obviously, the follow-up to verse 18 where it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart that he doesn't hear, this is what it says. And um, this is the message version of it, but it says, but he most surely did listen. He came on double, on the double when he heard my prayer. Blessed be God. He didn't turn a deaf ear. He stayed with me. Loyal is his love. See, it's not that God pushes us away. It's a Sometimes we do things that, that directly interfere with our talking and listening to Him. So not just transgressions, but the second thing is motivation. The why of your prayer. James 4.3 is clear, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. See, if we're going to look at that and understand not just that sin gets in the way, but even our own motives can get in the way of our prayer life, well, we need to go back and say, okay, God, how do we have the right motives? Now, we, we look at uh, a passage like Philippians 2.5 where it says, have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's about putting on the mind of Christ in our life so that what motivates Jesus motivates us. That's where we ought to be. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, and you probably know this by heart. 
Jesus' teaching, he says, Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech or pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Our responsibility is to pray for those that would go. But it doesn't take us off the hook from going ourselves. We can pray and be motivated by what motivates God. Third thing is unbelief can get in the way. Remember the original question? Is prayer a waste of time? To the, to the unbeliever? Likely. And maybe it's, maybe our unbelief is, is motivated by the disappointments in the answers that we get. I, re, I remember, this goes back a ways, Deb, so just so you know. Um, I remember at different points when I was a young adult praying, God, I really want to date that girl. You know, and I'd pick somebody out. I mean, there was a time when the, the cookie girl at the mall was, was the focus. And, and, I, and I would pray, and, and it didn't seem like God was doing his job. Say, God, I'm praying, but why aren't you answering like this? And God was saying, I don't think so. One, you don't need any more cookies. Um, that will not sustain you, and I have somebody else for you. And I, I'm thankful that it, at some point God said no. I was in a conversation this week just about boundaries, and sometimes the boundaries that God sets for us are good boundaries for us. And so when we may ask for something, and, and we ask and we don't really think about how it's going to affect the long term. We ask for it and God says, no, you don't need that or not right now. And we may get upset with God because he's not answering the way we want him to. But he is looking out for our best interest. It, it really comes down to a misunderstanding of God's character. God is loving. He is faithful. And he is Purposeful in his work to produce sanctified believers, finished products, completed vessels. He's the one that said through Paul in Philippians that I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing something in your life. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says this, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? God wants to give us what is good, but He wants to give us what is good for us in the scheme of His will. The second big thing on your list this morning besides interference is dejection. And we've all been there where we've been dejected, kind of pushed away by maybe unanswered prayer or we thought what we thought was unanswered prayer. T.W. Hunt 
said this. He said, disappointments in prayer can produce bitterness if our eyes remain on our selfish desires. Remember what Paul prayed? He prayed three times for a thorn in the flesh to be removed, didn't he? Now, theologians have debated what this thorn in the flesh was. And I've had different opinions over a period of time. Some, may, some think it was an eyesight issue. Um, some say it was a church committee. <laughs> or I've thought that. <laughs> um, or a disagreeable person. It really doesn't say. What it says is that, that God gave that. And um, it was for Paul's maturing. And, his, and God's glory. 2 Corinthians 12 says this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. So he says, hey, I'm receiving these things from God, but I don't want to get uppity about it. He says, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, and we quote this part all the time, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We may be tempted to move away from God in times when it seems that God is not listening. Yet those are the times when God may be doing His greatest work in us and around us. And so we cannot walk away in disappointment. The third part of this this morning is affirmation. So not just interference or dejection, but affirmation. And I'm going to just give you two quick examples of this. Joseph, who was a... He was um, in Egypt, had been sold basically into Egypt and uh, worked his way up the, the food chain there and then was caught in a situation that put him in prison. He rejected somebody that was making moves on him. Potiphar's wife accused him and he ended up in prison. And as he's in prison, there's a couple other guys that get thrown into prison and he interprets their dreams. And he reminds the cupbearer to... Please, when you are let out, please mention my name. Let them know what I did for you and see if I can get out of here. And, and the cupbearer gets restored, and there's no mention of Joseph. And he's left there. It's not till later that the cupbearer draws it to mind as the king has a, has a dream. And he says, I remember somebody from my past that, that was able to tell me what my dream was. And so they summoned him, and he comes out of prison but it took, a, it took a while. It wasn't an overnight thing of Joseph being put in prison and then coming out and, and being restored to some position of leadership. I'm sure that Joseph sat in there not just praising God, but saying, God, why? Why does this have to happen? Eventually, Joseph became the means of salvation for not just his family, but a nation. And so he could, have been, he could have been dejected and disappointed and bitter about what God wasn't or didn't seem to be doing. But God took him through that 
and led him. Daniel is another example. In the face of exile and a royal decree, he decided he was going to trust and obey God. And therefore he prayed. Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, it was in place, couldn't worship anybody but this idol the, the king had put in place, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. See, Daniel understood that the circumstances around him, although I could get bitter and disappointed by them, I didn't need to stay there. I needed to keep going back to God. And so there are things that we can do that become interference and, and get in the way of our relationship with Him. It, it's sin, motivation, unbelief. But we can also get trapped by the disappointments we feel when we don't think God is living up to His, his bargain. Don't think He's living up to His side of things. And I want to say that God is faithful and just and loving and wants to mature us and has your best interest in mind, has my best interest in mind. And He wants to mature us to the to the place of Christ and ready us for eternity in His presence. And so I want to tell you that prayer is not a waste of time. Seek to do the things that make your prayer life more vibrant than it's ever been. And that's why this call to prayer at the beginning of the year. It's not so that we can pack pews in here necessarily. It's so that our lives reflect the glory of God as we go among others every single day of the week. It's so that our lives bring Him glory and exalt Him, whether we pack a pew or not. And so, let's remember what the value of prayer is. And then let's pursue it with all that we can, trying to Avoid those things that interfere and get in the way of us having the right relationship with our God. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And then at the end, after we pray, the invitation will be open. We're going to do it a little different this morning. Um, we're just going to, we're going to leave the whole center space open for you to come. I'm going to go to the side. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Jeremiah if you'll take this side and just hang out in the corner. And so if you'd like to talk to either one of us about salvation or um, becoming a member of the church or just something else that's going on in your life, we will be there. And you can come down during that time. But I want the, the front part of this to be open because I think that there are things that we need to deal with and we deal with them before a holy God. We can nail it down here. Certainly we can do it in our seats, but coming to the altar and humbling ourselves before him in this fashion can nail it down for us. It makes it more real. And so these are the questions. Are you questioning the value of prayer or have you questioned God's character? And maybe you need to come and confess that. God, I don't think that you've been living up to what Scripture says, and I just want to admit that I'm wrong about that. And so maybe it's come in an admission of that. Second thing, is there something interfering or causing static, distorting your image of God and, your, and the effectiveness of your prayer? 
Is there something getting in the way that you just need to bring before a holy God and say, God, I'm so sorry, I confess, and I want to go the other direction. Please help me, not just in my prayer life, but just pr- please forgive me for what I've done and restore to me the joy of salvation as David prayed in Psalm 51. So the altar will be open for you to come and do business with the holy God. And then we'll see what God does. Let's pray. Father, we come before you realizing that you want connection with us. You want to, for us to be in constant fellowship with you, to pray without ceasing. And you, Father, you want us to be dependent on you and to recognize that you are faithful, you are trustworthy, you are full of mercy and grace. And Father, we have failed in keeping prayer a priority. And so, Father, as you've called out the money changers in the temple courts, that that place was to be a place of prayer, a place of connection to you. Father, I pray that us in here wouldn't let anything interfere with that relationship with you. We wouldn't allow other things to become the people or the money of the temple court. But that we would see you in all your glory and in all your magnificence. And Father, just want to spend time at your feet. And so, Father, as you lead us this morning to respond to the invitation, Father, I pray that you would draw us in truth and that we'd worship you in that same truth and in spirit. God, we love you. Be praised during this time of invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.